1: If you've listened to this podcast before, you know this voice.
0: I mean, I don't want to be in a position to represent myself to begin with. Nobody wants to be in that position, trust me. Especially with a case like this.
1: That's Daniel Green talking to me from prison about his most recent hearing before the court in late September. A hearing that could determine if he spends the rest of his life in prison or not.
0: Today, the man convicted of killing Michael Jordan's father, James Jordan, in 1993, had a hearing in Harnock County.
1: And while some thought this
0: could be Daniel Green's ticket to freedom, it didn't turn out that way. WRL's Amanda Lamb was in the courtroom.
1: Daniel Green was supposed to come here today for a hearing that could lead to a new trial. But instead, he asked the judge to fire his attorney and he made his own oral argument. That's me reporting for WRAL-TV based on what I saw and heard before, during, and after the hearing, and based on an interview with Daniel's just-fired attorney, Chris Muma. But that day, I couldn't talk to Daniel. He was whisked out of the courtroom by deputies as soon as the hearing was over. I finally got the chance to talk with Daniel in October, over the phone from prison, about a month after his hearing once he got out of solitary confinement. The recording isn't great because he's on a payphone. He only gets 15 minutes per call and then it automatically hangs up. It's not an ideal setup, but there were so many things he wanted to say about what happened in court and about the twisting path leading to that day. So we decided to give the interview a go, one phone call at a time.
0: I did not know that I was going to court that day, or even that they were holding court that day. I thought that everything was you know, being shut down because of Hurricane Eden, also because I was in solitary confinement, which everybody calls the whole.
1: At the time of the hearing, Daniel had been in solitary confinement 23 hours a day. When he got to court that day, he says he didn't see me, even though I was sitting directly behind him. He says when you're in the hole, there's no sensory stimulation and that his body kind of shuts down. Plus, he'd been having trouble sleeping and then had taken a prescribed medication at 4.30 in the morning. So things were just plain chaotic in his brain. Then the correctional officers walked in and let him know it was time to pack up for his hearing.
0: I was given approximately one and a half to two, three minutes to, like, get something together which is impossible when you have 20 bags in your cell and, and paperwork everywhere, like literally everywhere. Stacks of paper here, stacks of paper there. There are no files, there are no file cabinets.
1: The day of the hearing, officers took Daniel on a two-hour car ride from the Tabor Correctional Institute in Tabor City, North Carolina, to the Harnett County Courthouse in Lillington, North Carolina. But the trip took longer than two hours because, according to Daniel, the officers stopped to eat. They ended up being an hour late for court. Before Daniel was brought into the courtroom, he was given a chance to meet with his attorney, Chris Muma, in a back room. I could hear their voices speaking rapidly, talking loudly through the walls, but I couldn't hear specifically what they were saying. When Daniel was finally brought into the courtroom, Chris told Judge Winston Gilchrist that Daniel wanted her off the case. The judge repeatedly asked Daniel if this was really what he wanted. Daniel was unwavering about his decision. The judge told him if he fired his attorney, he would have to make his own oral argument unless he had another attorney in the courtroom on standby, which he did not. Daniel was given 30 minutes to argue for his freedom. So then you're in this position we're on the fly. We have 60 seconds remaining. You have to make this argument, and you can start it and then call me back. Can you call me back? I'm going to call me
0: back?
1: Can. Okay. I um, but, I mean, you can start okay. to answer that, or do you want to wait? It's up to you, since we only have 60 seconds.
0: Okay. Yeah, well, no, I'll call you.
1: Call me back. Okay. Bye. After seeing Daniel in the courtroom that day, I thought he must have been caught off guard. Overwhelmed. Scared. Unsure by what he'd decided to do, to represent himself during this hearing that was a big opportunity, a possible step towards freedom. But it turns out, Daniel saw the hearing as another kind of opportunity.
0: I want to be heard. I want to be heard. That's why I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you.
1: Today, Daniel's perspective on that day in court, and why he risked his freedom to speak his mind for 30 minutes, 30 minutes to explain what he's been thinking about in a prison cell for almost 30 years. From WREL Studios, this is Follow the Truth, the story of the James Jordan murder and the man who says he didn't do it. Talking to Daniel Green can be hard. Part of that is the phone line. He calls me from the prison payphone, and it's not the clearest. And part of that is just Daniel. He admits that he doesn't always process things in a linear way. He jumps around from topic to topic, and gets frustrated when I don't keep up and follow his train of thought. I did, yes, Chris.
0: Yes, yes, Amanda, 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 Amanda
1: but there are a few things that are crystal clear about Daniel. He believes he has been wronged in the handling of his case. He will not give up on his case, ever. He feels compelled to speak out about what he sees as travesties of the justice system. And he yearns so much to be heard now and to set the record straight on the past.
0: We have to be committed to the truth, because if I had done that when I was 18 years old, I wouldn't be here right now. I can't be the same person that I was when I was an 18-year-old kid. I can't sit there and do things that's against my principles because it's my friend or because I love somebody.
1: Daniel is alluding there to statements he made after his arrest. Statements he made to protect his best friend and co-defendant in the case, Larry Demery statements that eventually helped lead to his conviction in the murder of James Jordan, a murder that Daniel has always maintained he did not commit. Daniel admits to his own missteps back then, and he spoke about them at his hearing in September. He also wants other people to own what he sees as their mistakes. He's got lots to say about corruption in the county he was prosecuted in, We've addressed that in other episodes. But here's something we haven't discussed. And Daniel gets pretty hot about this.
0: All of those people, Joe Biden, Bill Clinton, all of these people that spoke about this and and basically politicized this man's murder, incentivized, politicized it, monetized it, weaponized this man's murder to pass this bill because it created
1: a lot Daniel is talking about the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994, commonly referred to as the crime bill. Quick background. Prior to being convicted of James Jordan's murder, Daniel was in prison serving time for an assault case that he said was self-defense. Eventually, he was released on parole, and then the conviction was later overturned by a judge because Daniel's attorney failed to do his duty by not presenting evidence that could prove Daniel was acting in self-defense. In 1993, after Daniel was charged in James Jordan's murder, politicians would bring up his assault case as an example, implying that if he'd been kept in prison, James Jordan would still be alive and using that as ammunition to pass the new crime bill that included much harsher sentencing. Between 1993 and 1994, the James Jordan case was referenced at least six times on the House and Senate floor. After the House and Senate each passed versions of the crime bill, President Bill Clinton said the following in an April 23, 1994 radio address.
0: Washington finally got the message. It heard the anguish of the American people over the fate of young Polly Klass, who was abducted and murdered by a repeat violent offender and over James Jordan, the father of Michael Jordan, killed in a robbery.
1: But Daniel believes he shouldn't have ever been convicted in the first place for that assault charge. And he says painting him as a violent offender released from prison was a scare tactic used to help them pass the bill.
0: They use that to like take other
1: juveniles, other kids, and to lock these kids up and throw away the key for money, not to keep the public safe. Daniel is incensed that his case was used to justify a crime bill that, among other things, incentivized the building and expansion of prisons and encouraged states to adopt policies many believe led to a generation of mass incarceration. And Daniel's not alone in his criticism of those politicians in the 90s. Senator Cory Booker took then-former Vice President Joe Biden to task, for his support of the bill during a 2019 Democratic presidential primary debate.
0: There are people right now in prison for life, for drug offenses, because you stood up and used that tough on crime, phony rhetoric that got a lot of people elected, but destroyed communities like mine. This isn't about the past, sir. This is about the present right now.
1: Daniel believes the rhetoric around the crime bill in the 90s was the start of a false narrative about him and that his inability to get relief from the court stems back to this very moment in history. He talked about this in his oral argument in front of the court in September. He also talked in September about other injustices he saw. One of the biggest issues in the media coverage of this case all along is that cameras have never been allowed per the judge's order in any of Daniel's hearings or at the trial. One thing I know for sure is that Daniel finds it ironic that they didn't let cameras in the courtroom, and yet officers, including the Robison County Sheriff in 1993, paraded him and Larry in front of the Robison County Courthouse for their first appearance in front of an army of cameras a place where the Confederate statue was proudly displayed, a reminder to Daniel that race did and has always played a role in the justice system in America. And when it comes to coverage of the events inside the courtroom, the public has to rely on reporters' notes, our memory, and our interpretation of the events, which Daniel believes are often wrong including mine. For instance, in our previous episode, I talked about some people outside the courtroom who didn't want to be identified. Here's what I said. Quote, one man told me he wished Daniel's mother could have come to court and spoken with him before he made what the friend saw as a rash decision to fire Chris, End quote. Daniel says he has a lot of followers, hangers on who he really doesn't know and has no relationship with, and that the man I referenced in the last episode is not a friend. Daniel says this man's point of view, that Daniel's mother would have talked him out of firing his lawyer, is just plain wrong.
0: My mother was an activist. Not not an activist. My mother was an activist. She lived it. She didn't have nothing. If she had something, my mother always spoke out for other people. My mother's proud of me for what I did. because My mother knows that what I did, it wasn't for me. I didn't do it for me. There's nothing I gained out of that. But I owe that. I owe that to my community. I owe that to society.
1: And I know this to be true. I've interviewed Daniel's mother, Elizabeth, about her son for this podcast. I watched her eyes light up when he called her on the phone from prison during our interview. Elizabeth has suffered from a lot of health problems. But she has no problem expressing to me how much she loves and admires her son and absolutely believes in his innocence. In her written brief to the court, Chris Muma spoke of the evidence that she believes should garner Daniel an evidentiary hearing. This includes the fact that there was no conclusive evidence of blood found in James Jordan's car, a fact that was misrepresented by an SBI agent who testified. It includes an alleged bullet hole found in James Jordan's shirt presented at trial that was not found during the autopsy. It includes an unexplored connection between a known drug dealer and the sheriff of Robison County, who was the drug dealer's biological father. It includes the fact that Daniel's alibi the night of the murder was never fully presented to the court by his defense attorneys at trial. And it includes the confession Chris says Larry Demery made to her personally when she visited him in prison, saying that he did not see Daniel shoot James Jordan. But these legal arguments, Daniel didn't focus on them in his oral presentation to the court. After nearly 30 years in prison, he wanted to talk about a million other things. All the reasons he feels like the justice system has failed him and so many other people. It was like he was in a rush to get it all out. And he was in a rush.
0: I'm 47 years old. I'm 47. I could die any day. Tomorrow is not promised. So we don't wait until it's convenient to do something to actually speak about it. You know what I'm saying? We don't wait until, until I'm out of prison. Whatever. This is my life now. This is who I am. How I live every day defines who I am. And if I, as a man, don't speak about it, I'm not even qualified to be free.
1: Before he began his argument, Daniel told the judge why he wanted to get rid of his attorney of six and a half years, Chris Muma. Basically, he said he wanted to put things into the court filings that she didn't include despite his urging. For example, there were witnesses who said they saw James Jordan alive after he'd been murdered. Daniel agrees this wasn't true, but says this should have at least been introduced in his case because it sheds doubt on whether or not a murder ever occurred. But his biggest complaint was that when they first started working together, he says Chris told him definitively he was going to get an evidentiary hearing, and when that didn't happen, he felt betrayed.
0: After a while, you just get so disappointed over and over and over again. and The only thing you want to do is somebody to sit there and do what they say they're going to do. That's it.
1: We've interviewed Chris many times. I won't get into all her feedback here because this is Daniel's opportunity to give his version of the events. But Chris emphatically denies ever intentionally steering Daniel wrong. She says she worked hard for him, believed in him, and did everything she could to try and secure his freedom. Even as Daniel tried to explain to the judge why he wanted to fire Chris, she said she wanted to stay on the case and continue to help him. But Daniel wasn't having it. In court, the judge said, quote, I'm not here to mediate between you and your client, end quote. Even now, after everything that's happened, Chris says, she still believes in Daniel and his innocence, and she sat in the courtroom that day and watched him deliver his oral argument.
0: you know, I've never done any public speaking before. I've never done that before I've never spoke publicly to to nowhere anywhere in my life, not in school, you know what i mean not in a uh you know I've never done that before so of course, that was difficult it's not easy it wasn't easy. And it wasn't fun. Were you and nervous? I have a lot I mean, better if I was prepared, yes. Yeah. Were you nervous? Um, was it scary? No, nah, it wasn't scary. It wasn't scary. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I wish I had messed up my life. You know, I wish I could have did stuff like that with my life. You know?
1: If this doesn't go your way, I mean, can you spend the rest of your life in prison?
0: Are you prepared for that or not my plan you know that's not my plan i don't i don't i don't i don't don't, i've never ever i've never ever felt like i was gonna die in prison you know but if but if i do i mean that's not something that this society should be proud of this 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 society should not be proud of people spending as much time as i spent in prison for something i didn't do
1: Chris has always said Daniel would have made a great lawyer. She even said if he was ever released, he should go to law school. These thoughts, Daniel shared, they fall under the category of there but for the grace of God go I. What if Daniel had been born into a different life? What if? For now, Daniel is guided by his need to speak out.
0: We gotta be outspoken. Somebody gotta speak about this. You know, that's just all. I'll just do my duty as a citizen. You know what I mean? That's that's all I can do. I, I've made mistakes in my life, but I do believe we got responsibility to our society, to these to, to these kids out there. First and foremost, and that's that's that's. You have thirty seconds remaining. That, Daniel, that's, that's, thank that's, you. That's all I was trying to do, Amanda. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, man.
1: As of this recording, we are still waiting on Judge Gilchrist's ruling to see if Daniel will be granted an evidentiary hearing. In the meantime, Daniel tells me he is working on his own case every single day, without the help of an attorney, to prepare for what comes next. Track the case on social media at Follow the Truth Pod. Read my blog, transcripts, and case files at FollowTheTruthpod.com. This episode was written and reported by me, Amanda Lamb, and produced and edited by Rachel McCarthy. Our Director of Podcast Operations is Anita Normanly, and our executive producer is Ashley Talley. Original music is by George Hodge and Lee Rosevere. Thanks for listening.
0: 18 plus.